How about if I just start at the beginning? <laughs> you could you could be honest. Because <laughs> you know what? They have the sweat equity that went into that memory that they're making with their friends and family. And that's what's important with us, and that's what the I Am Real World's about. Well, that's a great question. You know, one of the best things about a spring food plot is you get a second chance if it fails. Chasing Giants with Don Higgins. Brought to you by buyafarm.com, your source for farm, recreational properties, rural homes, and more. By tapping into Don's years of experience, dedication, and commitment, Chasing Giants focuses on the techniques, strategies, and dedication needed to harvest one of God's most amazing creations, world-class whitetails. Now, here is Don and co-host Terry Peer. Well, welcome everyone to Chasing Giants, brought to you by Biofarm.com, episode 69. It is June 13th. Don, how are you this evening? I'm great. How are you, Terry? I'm doing really good. Thank you. Um, it's uh, It's been a busy week. We we both have had a lot of stuff going on here lately. Yeah, for sure. I just got home this evening from Indiana. Um, my youngest daughter lives over there, and she's getting married in July, and so we've moved a bunch of her stuff over. Um, went to church this morning at Flora, Indiana. Listened to a great sermon by a young man, um, his name's Johnny, I don't remember his last name, but it was his first time preaching, and uh, at least that's the way I understood it, and a great sermon from him, and um, stopped and visited my other daughter and grandsons and son-in-law on the way home, so I got to see everybody this weekend and after a, a busy week, so it's been good for me. Well, it rained here almost every day we had those that that scorching hot weather with humidity and and thunderstorms almost every day so um, I'm supposed to walk quite a bit and part of this recovery from back surgery um, I guess it's now been 11 days ago no 10 days ago so I ended up actually going into work uh, every day this week at least for five six hours and setting an alarm on my phone and getting up and walking laps we we have a very big facility so i can get my steps in there and be out of it um and then i was able to actually be on the softball field this weekend i actually was out coaching third base this weekend so it's hard to believe just that few days after surgery i'm on a ball field but you know it uh it kind of got uh took a turn for the worse we came we got we got beat this morning came home to a uh, end of the year banquet for our school and then i sat down on the couch to rest a little bit before we started the podcast and heard my wife scream in one of the toilet lines i guess something had gone wrong and it pumped out a bunch of water not only in the bathroom upstairs but we had water everywhere in our basement so we've spent about the last uh 2 3 hours cleaning up water well, that stinks. Yeah, so. Hate to hear that. So the toilet's broke, so we'll have to get on that a little bit later. But outside of that, it's hard to fix a toilet when you can't bend, lift, or twist. So I might I might have to hire this job out to one of my buddies that can come over and replace the guts of this toilet. So. No, I wish I was closer. Uh, it's, this, this isn't a bad job to get a, get a, get out of, though. So I'm not, yeah. I'm not too upset. So. Um, it's obviously been too wet for us to do anything here and, uh, and I'm probably a week away from spraying. What about, what's the status of your food plots up there? Well, I got everything sprayed this week. Uh, 
actually Friday, I spent the entire day spraying and sprayed my soybean plots, uh, corn plot. Um, had another plot that's going to be planted this fall. It has nothing really grown in it now that I, I just sprayed the weeds um, since I was, had the sprayer on the tractor and knocked them down. Um, I'm pretty much done with the food plot work uh, until you know late summer, early fall. Yeah. So I got uh, I got probably about another week, and then I'll get a good spray. And outside of uh, having my clover kept mowed down through the summer depending on the rain i'm i'm in the same boat i want to pick your brain a minute if you if you don't mind um and and i know it sounds really crazy but believe it or not in the last week i've already seen posts on facebook from hunters that have had their trail cameras out and they're already complaining because there's no good sized bucks on camera already um, and, and I, I think that, I think that's a, a little bit premature to start either getting excited nor panicking about something this early, but if you don't mind, take a little bit of time and talk about what those deer are doing. Um, you mentioned a dispersal a couple weeks ago about how bucks are moving around and we're already back in some ranges. What are deer, both does and uh, bucks? You know, obviously the does have their fawns with them. What's going on right now? Where are they going? What are they doing? Well, you know, over the past month or so, Terry, I mean, uh, I've been on the road a lot. And like Wes and I went out to western Iowa um, a little over a week ago. I uh, just went to Indiana this weekend. And and I don't know if you've been on the road much, but I've noticed a lot of deer that have been hit on the roads. Mm-hmm. And, you know, the, the second most active time for, for deer activity in the entire year is, you know, like May and June, and uh, second only to the rut. And the reason for that is, is this is the time of the year, you know, right before those does have their fawns. When, when the does have their fawns, they don't want to just all pile up together in one woods and they don't just go to the prime food source and, and sit on the edge and have their fawns around the edge. They want to disperse, and it's, it's really Mother Nature's way of of ensuring survival of the species. So when, when those does this time of the year are having fawns, for the most part, they're, they're going to disperse a little bit um, within their home range, but uh, they want to get away from the other deer, and that scatters those fawns out so that, you know, if a flood comes or something like that, it doesn't wipe out – the whole fawn crop or most of the fawn crop those fawns are you know the birth is scattered out over a period of time but but those those are also scattered out across the countryside um at the same time be, right before these does are having their fawns uh, they're kicking their buck fawns off from last year and those buck fawns are dispersing and they're just basically wandering randomly across the countryside and searching for a new home range and you know, a lot of them are going to end up 10, 20, or 50, or 100 miles from where they was born. And they're literally, at this time of the year, they're just randomly wandering. This is the time of the year when you really hear about seeing deer in, in towns, um, places where you, you typically never see deer. Uh, it's also a time when you're seeing a lot of them hit on the roads, and, and it's all about that dispersal. The bucks are dispersing. Um the, the young bucks especially, but uh, the fawns or, or the, the does rather are, are getting ready to have their fawns or they've already had them. So they're moving a little bit. And uh, as far as activity in the deer herd, the only time that you're, you're going to see more movement is during the rut. 
and this would be the second most active time. So, so we've talked about that dispersal of when that that doe is kicking their buck fawns away. You know, um, uh, what was the term that was used? Was it parental aggression or something like that? I think somebody, I can't remember, but there was a term something somebody used. But to keep from inbreeding, that doe is basically kicking them away so it's not breeding a sister or the mother again. Right. So this is kind of the first road trip for those, um, what would they be, uh, 10, 11-month-old you know, buck fawns that are out basically on a big adventure trying to figure out where to go and how to survive. Yeah, they're real close to their first birthday. Uh, they're real close to a year old. Um, and this dispersal really kind of continues throughout the entire summer for the yearling bucks and, you know, in, into the fall. Um, I think throughout even the rut, a lot of yearling bucks, and I know on my farm, for example, the bucks that I, the yearling bucks that are here, like say uh, in, in October, are are different than the yearling bucks that end up here in, in January. Okay, it's so it's like that that shift just continues. Right. So is you know we know that bucks get in bachelor groups, and are they basically these young these young year old deer bucks? Are they basically searching for a bachelor group that's going to tolerate them for a little bit that they can kind of have a little bit of security being with another group of bucks is that is that kind of what's going on yeah i think that i mean this is just my theory and you know i think that when they disperse when they find a bachelor group yeah a lot of times they will hook up with that bachelor group and they'll spend the summer there but then that bachelor group breaks up you know in early fall when they start shedding velvet and then when that bachelor group breaks up, well, then the yearlings, they, they're lost once again. Right. And, uh, and they're shifting again and they don't even know where they're going. Right. They just, they're randomly wandering around the countryside and end up wherever. And then we, we find them where they kind of settle in on a, a little bit of a home range as a immature buck with other immature bucks. And then the, they kind of, uh, once they get to kind of three and four, you're getting the pecking order and they're going out searching again for another range where they can be the, the, the big man on the totem pole. Right. Interesting. Yep. So I, I've never heard anybody actually talk a little bit about this is the second, uh, second most frequent time that deer are actually moving around. I think that's fascinating because you know, um, you know, a lot of our listeners uh, listen to the podcast as they're, um, you know, road warriors driving, going into work and everything. So if you've been seeing a lot of dead deer, comment to us, send us a message or, or something. I'm, I'm, I'm curious to see if you guys have seen this also. Uh, fortunately for me, I've laid low for the last, you know, three, four weeks. So I haven't been on the road very much, so I haven't seen it. So, yep. Um, and, and, you know, some of these dead deer that I'm seeing are, are not even near a woods. Um, I, I, out in the middle out of nowhere. Exactly. You look in all directions, there's hardly a tree. There's nothing but corn and soybean fields, and, and yet these deer are just wandering, and they're getting getting killed. They don't even know where they're at, really. They're just hmm. you know, wandering around the countryside, and they'll end up somewhere miles from where they were born. Very interesting. God's, God's sure had a strategic plan when he created all this, didn't he? No doubt about it. I mean, I don't know how you can deny creation when you think of all the different species and the little intricacies that, you know, help them survive and, 
and uh, and the inbreeding just it, it's just amazing. Yeah. Well, I want to switch gears a little bit and talk about. I think everybody's a little anxious, and I'm going to tee something up for you, and you can decide which way to go first. But there's there's two yeah. things on social media. Actually, there's three things on social media, and I'm gonna. I want you to focus on the first one, and that that's a new product that our friend James Morgan came out with. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Were you he with it? Were video. you with him when he did that? No, I, I was not. And he sent me that video. I don't know a day or two ago, and <laughs> I thought. It was just funny as can be, so I asked him if I could share it on my social media. He told me to go for it. But <laughs> what did he call he that? Much has the, what did he call that uh, thing? He called that the um, what was it? Web Blaster. Web Blaster One Thousand. So <laughs> if if you haven't gone to Don's social media page, our, our good friend James Morgan. Uh, he's, he's a super good dude, um, lives in the area. Don, he actually helps Don out with some filming every once in a while. I think he's even shot a buck on your place too, hadn't he? Yeah. He's actually shot a couple here and so, probably not the last ones he will either, but, uh, <laughs> really good young man. He, uh, <laughs> I'm not going to spoil it for everybody. You gotta, you gotta go watch this thing. Go to, uh, Don's, I think I'm looking at your Facebook page right now on my computer and it's pulled up there, but, uh, James is a good dude. You'll, you'll get a, you'll get a little bit of a laugh with his sarcasm and kind of making fun of some of the gimmicks that, that people come out with the, um, the, the second, the second and third thing I want to tee up is you got a, uh, you said you had a story about a mower wheel that you wanted to talk about and then, yeah. To, to cap it all off, boy, you got people fired up this week, and I can't wait to hear your spin on uh, on uh, getting everybody all riled up for calling it like it is. So uh, I'll just turn the floor over to you, and you can, you can step up on your box and take it however you want. Well, let's start with the mower wheel. Um, I'll tell you what, Terry, by the time I get done here, uh, we may not have time to answer submissions. That's all right. That's all right. <laughs> Um, the mower wheel, you guys, uh, some of you probably seen the picture I posted, uh, uh, on social media, I think it was yesterday with a, uh, a, um, wheel off of my finished mower that I used to mow my clover and fire breaks and such with, and the wheel was, uh, basically the, the rim had come apart and there's a really good story behind that. Um, interesting. I'm going to tie it right into the hunting industry and in, in last week's podcast, actually. So, I had a wheel go bad on my finished mower and I get online to order a new one. There's all kinds of options, you know, and I decided that I was going to get one of the cheaper options. I mean, these are all solid wheels that can't go flat. And I mean, it's a finished mower, a little six foot finished mower. There's not a lot of weight there. And I'm thinking, well, crap, why do I want to spend a hundred bucks when I can get one for 40? And you don't put many hours on it. Yeah. I don't mow. I don't mow my yard or any big areas with it, just kind of my fire breaks and lanes and such there around the farm. And so I buy this uh, $40 wheel for that mower. And I put it on there and I start mowing and, and I'm mowing it ain't 10 minutes later. And I'm noticing these marks where I just mowed something's dragging and scuffing up the, the dirt. And I, I look back and that brand new wheel that has not been on that mower 10 minutes has already come apart and that's what you see in the picture that was the new so, one 
That was the brand new one. <laughs> Ten minutes I got out of that, that wheel. So, you know, I, I just, I, I used my three-point on the back of my little tractor, and I held that mower up so it wasn't dragging the ground. And I went ahead and finished mowing, but it got me to thinking as I'm, as I'm mowing these fire breaks and stuff, and just disgusted about that wheel that I got 10 minutes out of. And, you know, I started thinking about, I should have known better because, you know, that, that was a made in China wheel, cheap. It, it wasn't, you know, made in America, uh, a good quality wheel. I should have just bought one of those hundred dollar good wheels and put on there. But no, I tried to save a little bit of money, be tight. And what, what's happened? You know, I get 10 minutes out of it. Now I'm stuck buying a good wheel after all. And I got to thinking, man, this is just like trail cameras. I can tie this right back to trail cameras because most guys, they don't want to spend the money on a really good trail camera. They buy a cheapo from China and they get a picture or two out of it, a season or two at most out of it. And they think they really got something. They've saved a bunch of money. Well, in the end, they haven't saved a dime. It's just like me being tight by my wheel. When you try to be tight with your trail cameras, you're going to end up in the same boat that I am with this wheel. You're going to be turning around and you're going to be buying another one. And the next time, if you buy a cheap one again, well, guess what? You're going to be buying another one. And uh, I just thought it was kind of ironic because it was early in the week and we just recorded that podcast. And we just talked about trail cameras. And here it was a day or two later. I'm there on that mower with a brand new wheel from China that lasted me 10 minutes. And I should have spent my money on a good one. So that's the story of the wheel and how I tied it to the hunting industry. Yeah, I think um, I think especially in the trail camera market, there's the people that are just trying to save the money, um, and then there's the people that are using the logic that I can buy three for the price of one or two for the price of one. But I'm telling you people, uh, based on what I learned last year through just some very – uh, let's just say entry level testing. It, it's not a matter of running more than one. It's a matter of how many are how those cheap cameras. How many pictures are you missing that you only might get one crack at a target buck, and you think you're doing something by covering the woods with a bunch of cheap cameras? Um, one of the things that I've taken away from you over the years is have one good camera in the right spot, and you'll have a picture of every buck you need to have a picture of. So. Exactly. And, you know, I, I just wanted to share that story because it's human nature for all of us. We all want to save money. Yep. And I'm one of them guys that I'll save money everywhere except my hunting gear. And I'm going to buy the best of whatever piece of equipment it is. I'm going to buy what I believe is the best of all that. But yet when it comes to my mower, I just, <laughs> just like everybody else, I'm trying to save a penny and, and I paid for it. So now I get to buy me another wheel. You can bet the next You'd time be I'm going to be buying a cheap be one. That'll be a hundred. I want you to write one forty, hundred and forty dollars yeah. on that wheel. That way you remember it and learn your lesson. Uh, I'll remember it. <laughs> There's no doubt about that. Well, all right. Well, uh, let's talk a little bit about how you got everybody fired up earlier this week. You, um, I think some some people were a little sensitive as some harsh comments <laughs> that you made and and. and uh, uh, out of you know, you take it however you want, but um, I think that the comment that you shared from Doctor Deer um, was on point. So why don't you go into that a little bit? 
Well, that's exactly how it started, Terry. I was just scrolling through social media, and I seen a post by Dr. Deer, and he hit the nail on the head uh, about a topic that, that has, you know, kind of rubbed me the wrong way in the past simply because it's bad information. And I, I was, to, to be honest, I was so excited that here's another person with a uh, recognizable name that is basically taking the same position as me. I got so excited that I had to share the post and, and I threw my comments in there and it wasn't but about two or three sentences that I put, but I was fired up and, well, I used a couple of, of words, I think, uh, stupidity and idiotic um, were a couple of them that people were a little bit sensitive to. And I understand that. I, I probably should have uh, um, chose my words a little more wisely. I should have uh, thought about that post I made a little bit before I just, you know, instantly after reading Dr. Deer's post, shared it and, and threw my two cents in. But the thing that people don't realize is there is there's history between certain individuals that they know nothing about. And when you come to someone's defense, you have absolutely, especially someone you don't know on an up-close personal level, you don't know what you're defending. You don't know what that person's done because of the other person. You know, a lot of times, it's like in basketball, um, you know, somebody makes a dirty play and the refs don't catch it. The person they made the dirty play on retaliates later in the game and gets caught and that's the person that gets called for the foul and that's exactly what happened here exactly and uh what happened was some of these people that read it and i'll admit i should have chose my words more wisely but these people that were commenting have absolutely no idea what happened before and what caused me to fly off the handle like that um i've taken some personal attacks um that these people know nothing about um, by a person in question. And uh, so uh, the, the people that flew off the handle, I just started, I don't mind anybody disagreeing with me about anything, as long as they do it respectful. We can have a debate. We can be, uh, you know, we can disagree today on this topic and agree tomorrow on the next one. And as long as they're not calling me names and attacking me on my page, I'm fine with it. But there was a handful of people that came on my page, made assumptions, called me names, and uh, basically insulted me. And I, I just started blocking them and uh, deleted their posts and blocked them. And there was probably, I'm going to guess there was probably at least eight of them. There may have been more, but uh, probably eight to ten anyway. And uh, these people have no idea what transpired before that post was made. And uh, I would just encourage anyone, um, before you jump in the middle to defend somebody, you better know darn well what you're defending because you probably have no idea on social media. Uh, and again, I totally admit I should have chose my words better. Um, you know, with, with that said, uh, I even had some uh, personal emails from some of those people I blocked today, and some of them were apologetic and some of them were downright disgusting calling me vile names. And that's fine. If you don't like the truth, then uh, you're, you're probably in the wrong place. And uh, so I, I want to get into that whole topic that was brought up in Dr. Deer's post. Um, but before I do, you know, there was a couple of people made a comment uh, about me being arrogant. And, you know, to me, an arrogant person is someone that 
that thinks they're better than other people. And I promise you that I don't think that about anyone. I, I say many times, God didn't make me any better than he made anyone else. And, uh, you know, one of the, the best comments that, that was made to me during this entire winter and spring uh, consulting season and during the Whitetail Master Course, it was on one of the last classes at the Master Course. This young man said to me, it was at the end of the day, and uh, I was getting ready to, uh, I think we was getting ready to go walk the second property, and I was kind of off to my side waiting on everybody to get their stuff ready. He walks up to me and he says, hey, I got to tell you something. He says, I really need to compliment you. He said, me and my friends, you was really arrogant. But he says, I've been watching you all day. And he says, you're not a bit arrogant. He says, you're very confident in what you say. And you believe 100% in what you're telling us. And I think that your confidence gets misunderstood or, or taken as arrogance. He says, but you're not arrogant at all. And I thanked him for that. And I think that was one of the best comments that was made to me the entire spring by any of my clients. And and I guess I get it that sometimes I may come off as arrogant, but but I promise you, I don't think I'm better than anybody out there listening to this. And what really irritates me about, you know, this whole topic that, that we're talking about and other topics that I disagree with, you may see me disagree with on social media, is that I am I am genuinely trying to, to help people um, reach their dreams. Most people they either have me consult on their property or they come to my whitetail master course or they follow me on social media because they're a serious deer hunter and they're trying to get better at it. And really their goal is to kill bigger and older bucks. Now that doesn't mean they're trying to kill 200 inch bucks. They're just trying to take their game to the next level. And I see this information that is not going to allow that to happen because if they buy into it and as I go on these consulting trips and, and meet with consulting clients, you know, there is a lot of times I, I think I visited 83 properties this past winter. And many times when, when I meet with that landowner, that new client, I look at their property and what they need to do their property is an absolute no brainer to me. It, it's like, it's crystal clear in my head what needs to be done here. My challenge is, is I've got to I've got to get into this client's head. I've got to clear their mind of all this garbage that they've listened to on social media, YouTube videos, or whatever, because to the, to varying degrees they bought into it and they believe some of this stuff. And to be fair, some of that information is good um, to a certain degree, but. If you're following me, if you're you know, reading my articles, if you're watching a video of mine or whatever, I'm, I'm giving advice on killing old, mature bucks. Um, it, it's not for killing more deer. It's not for killing more bucks. I'm trying to help you kill bucks that are at least four and a half years old and probably five and a half, six and a half and even older. And those are totally different animals. And, you know, if you follow me very long on social media, you'll see me getting in one argument after another with somebody, you know, telling me that that I'm wrong. And the person telling me I'm wrong has maybe killed two or three mature bucks in their entire life. 
And, uh, and again, I don't think I'm better than anyone, but I've learned those lessons. You know, there was a time when I was shooting yearling bucks and I've worked my way up in 43 years, longer than most of my critics have been alive. I've worked my way up to where I'm at today and I'm sincerely trying to help others, you know, reach their dreams of killing bigger bucks. And, uh, sometimes it gets kind of frustrating and, you know, there was a couple of comments that, that, you know, not all properties are the, are the same and properties of different sizes and, and, you know, maybe this, what was said, uh, basically what was said was that, uh, this person was saying that not to plant summer food because it turns your property into a doe factory. You get all these does in there. Well, there's, there's a couple of, of items at least that are consistent across all properties, no matter where they are, no matter what size they are, no matter the kind of cover that's there. And one of those is, is human intrusion. Human intrusion will ruin a property. I don't care how big the property is. I don't care what kind of cover it's got. I don't care what's around it. Um, nothing matters. Human intrusion will ruin a property, any property, anywhere. And another thing that I fully believe in, fully believe in, is that if you're managing a property, you should be trying to provide food on that property 365 days a year. Now, again, I'm not talking about making your property the best property it can be for just killing bucks. That's not what I'm talking about at all. I'm talking about making your property the very best it can be for growing and killing mature bucks getting those bucks up to four and a half years old. And I tell all my consulting clients, you don't ever want a buck to have to leave your property for food. Now he's going to, in fact, he may leave for the entire summer and spend his summer a mile away. And there's nothing you can do about that, but not all bucks are going to do that. And they, you should never have a buck leave your property because of food. I always try to have food on the property 365 days a year, and it doesn't matter where that property's at or how big it is. So when, when I see people promoting ideas that, uh, that are different than that, it, it gets me fired up because I know that there's going to be people buy into that, and it's going to really set them back. It's not going to help them reach their dreams. It's going to be a hurdle in front of them. Uh, with their dream on the other side, it's going to make them harder for them to reach those dreams. And, and that's why that topic in particular, as well as a couple others, um, get me upset because I got to deal with this on a almost daily basis in the wintertime when I'm on these consulting businesses. I'm trying to help these people. And I'll be honest, there's some clients that flat out, I, I can't get through to them. That They just can't believe that what I'm telling them is right, that killing big deer is as simple as I'm laying it out. And that this is what they need to do to their property. And, and, and they've just, they, they think it's got to be more complicated because someone on the internet has made it more complicated. And, uh, you know, that, that's really, um, what sets me, sets me off when I read some of these comments. But, um, you know, another thing is that I think people think that I'm a little bit too sensitive and, uh, and they're probably right to some degree about some of these uh, items. But again, there's a backstory that, that nobody knows that that's on the internet. Now, now, you know, some of it, Terry, but uh, the people that are making these comments 
have no idea what transpired way before that post ever happened. And I want to give you another example of some things that I've run into. Um, I'll I'll go to numerous properties every year where there's already been other consultants there in the past. And I get to see firsthand not only the plan they laid out as a written plan, but but how it was enacted on that property, what was actually done on that property. And I'm going to give you one example from Ohio last year. I was on a property, and another consultant had been there, and it was in a thick river bottom. And uh, what they did was they just went into this, it was growed up in tree saplings along this river, and right in the middle of it, um, they, they, they put a blind, and then they just they cut these like trails like spokes in a wheel, like the, the, the blind was the hub, and they had all these trails leading out in different directions, completely encircling this blind into this these thick uh, tree saplings. And these were shooting lanes from that blind. And, uh, you know, the first thing, I, and I didn't, I, I know exactly who the, the consultant was that, that laid this out. I, I'm not going to mention their name here. It, it doesn't matter because I've seen it you know, so many times over with different consultants, but I, I didn't bash that consultant one bit to the, uh, to the client. All I said was, I asked two questions. I said, uh, what's your access to this blind? How do you get here? And they told me, so, so you're coming. And then I turned it around. I said, so you're coming right through the heart of the bedding cover to get to, to this blind. Yeah. Yeah. And then I said, uh, what wind direction do you hunt when you sit in this blind? And, well, it really doesn't matter because, you know, there, there's really no good wind. So I just pay attention. I don't even pay attention to where my sense blow, and I look the other way because I know there's not going to be here over there. Well, you know, that don't work with mature bucks. That, that might kill you some three-year-old bucks. It might increase. And, and the work they did cutting some of those uh, saplings and such and hinge cutting them and, making thickets and this and that and, and pile them up to funnel deer. I have no doubt that works. But when you listen to anything that I say, read an article, watch a video, whatever, seminar, I'm talking about mature bucks every time. Uh, I'm just going to assume that you're you're trying to raise your game to where you're killing mature bucks consistently. And that's what I'm trying to help you do. And some of this stuff that's being promoted is absolutely not only is it not going to help you, it's going to hurt you, and that's where I'm coming from. Um, when I went off about that topic of not having summer food, and I want to get into that just a little bit more. If you've got a plot on your property and you're not going to plant summer food there, what are you going to do with it? Are you just going to let that plot grow up in weeds? So even if you're going to plant a fall plot there, you, you should at least plant something in the spring. Um, so the weeds aren't growing up there. Plant something to build your soil, or or something to uh, to at least feed the deer. Sure, you may not uh, be able to provide enough food for a lot of deer, but at least do something with that plot that's productive. Uh, get those deer coming to that plot. Get them to associate that plot with food, not just a weed patch. And you know, I think a lot of guys are or consultants are more into helping people just kill deer and that's it just kill deer um one of the comments that was posted on on my page yesterday was about 
well, not all of us have the chance to chase 180 and 200 inch deer. Well, that's exactly my point because you know what? At one time I didn't either. Um, you know, I'm, there's not people in my neighborhood shooting 180 inch and 200 inch deer consistently. There's not, 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 not one single person that I know of. And I'm trying to teach you how you can do that because at one time I wasn't either. At one time, my property was not producing that kind of deer. And I'm trying to teach you how to, to turn your property into one that can do that. And then once you find those kind of deer or have those kind of deer on your property, then I'm trying to teach you how to kill them. And uh, I, I just, it's just some of the garbage on the internet. A lot of times, you know, I don't say a word. I mean, there's a guy the other day, I seen a video and it said, whitetail managers suck or, or whitetail consultants suck or something. And then that's the title of this guy's piece and or his video. And I watch the video and I look at the comments and, and nobody bashed the guy. If I would post a video that said whitetail consultants suck, I would have so many negative comments that all I could do, I'd spend my entire day just deleting people. <laughs> And uh, I think that, uh, you know, one thing has been really hard for me to grasp is, and this goes back to, to why I don't think I'm an arrogant person, is because I just see myself as a simple country boy, and it just bewilders me that some people can post something and not a bad word is said about it to, or to them. And it's like I just, I've had a difficult time grasping that, I've got to play by a different set of rules because I don't see myself as being any different than the people I'm talking to. When somebody asks me a question on, online, you know, on the um, on one of my posts or whatever, I, I'm not talking down to them. I'm just trying to help them. And I think I should just be able to talk like I always have, like I, I did when I was 20 years old. And the post that I made yesterday, if it was just somebody that, you know, people had never heard of, it would have not been a big deal at all. I've just had a, a, a tough time accepting that people look at me different because I don't feel like I am different. And uh, so anyway, that, that's kind of my spiel on that whole whole post. I hope I cleared the air for some people. And, and I'm not talking down to anybody, even the people that, that I've banned from my page. Hey, if you want to send me an email and ask to be, you know, me to lift that ban, I'll do it. But I want you to understand that. You don't have to agree with me. I don't expect anyone to agree with me, you know, all the time. Um, in fact, I kind of like good-natured debate because a lot of times when I get to hear the other person's point of view, it gets my mind working, and it helps me to uh, see things from a different angle, and maybe uh, uh, sometimes I even change my mind. So I, I'm fine with debate. I'm, I'm fine with people disagreeing, but it's how that disagreement comes across, and, and I'm just not going to tolerate people coming to my page and insulting me, making personal comments, insulting me. If that happens, I'm just going to ban people. But, you know, like I said, in this situation, uh, if you think you were banned wrongly, send me an email, and uh, I'll give you a second chance. Christ gave me a second chance, and, you know, he, he gave me this platform, and and I, I, I recognize that, that I'm not perfect, and a lot of times uh, I do not set a good example. Um I try to do better each day than I did the day before. So, uh, anyway, that, that's kind of my, my speech on that topic, Terry. Well, for all the people that say that I talk too much on a podcast, on the podcast, you're welcome. 
<laughs> I went to Dairy I don't Queen. Think you're and, gonna say that today. I went to Dairy Queen, got a blizzard, and came back, and you were still going. Yeah. No, well, here, I hope you here, got me one. Here, here's the deal, folks. <laughs> uh, I've gotten to know this man, and, and this isn't just a uh, self-defense and promotion of Don Higgins episode, but but if you really want to know the nutshell of what what's going on, um. A lot of the friction and arguments that Don and I have had over the years has been some of these really quick-to-action comments that he's made on social media. I mean, if you think back about some of the times that we were, you know, aggravated with each other, it was a lot of times because I said, why did you say that, you know? And <laughs> and, and, yep. and and you'll be the first to admit that a lot of times you, you, you jump to it. Um, and, you know, we're all guilty of sometimes the way we want to portray or say something isn't the way things are interpreted and by no means i don't i don't believe one minute that you were calling someone stupid or someone an idiot or whatever terminology that was used i don't even remember it was the ideology behind something and i know i know for the last 15 minutes that people have been listening to don about saying you know and you, you you might think that he's being oversensitive about this, but I can tell you that not many people are real close to Don, and he takes it very, very personal because everything he does that I've ever seen him do in the outdoor industry, he's always trying to help people. And it's not there's not a selfish ounce of um, of motive behind anything with what he's doing he gets i think i think the reason that you get attacked is because what 12 years ago you said hey there's something that's not good enough out here i'm gonna do it so you went and started a food plot company and and sometimes it says okay well you're just saying that you need food on your property because you own the food plot company that has nothing to do with it if if the theory worked to not have food on your property all summer to, if that theory worked, you wouldn't have any food on your property all summer. Um, Absolutely. But I, I just want people to understand. Um, I, I realize that sometimes both of us get defensive, and you guys will send us comments about, "Hey, don't worry about what people say." It hurts, and and we we try to we we're the ones that are taking the risk putting ourselves in the public light to try to be a different outlet for, for our listeners to cut through all the crap of stuff that's out there and say, guys, forget the sponsors, forget the ulterior motives, forget, you know, the, um, web blaster one thousands that are on the market. If you want to hunt different and kill these different critters, you have to think different. And this is what's important. Um, that's the only reason we're here, but we subject ourselves by doing that to a lot of people. And whether it's right or it's wrong, Don and I have both felt the hurt of the personal attacks by it. And uh, if we take a minute of an episode of episode number 69 to clarify how we feel, and so be it. Um, fast forward to the next portion of it. But I can tell you that with, with the best interest, if we're guilty of anything, we're guilty of being brutally honest and saying what's saying what we truly believe. If you don't believe with that, the same thing, that's fine. 
Um, I had a really nice comment in an email from a guy who asked a question this week, and he he closed his question by saying, "Oh, by the way, I hung out of one of those love swings," and he just <laughs> and he laughed, and I was like, "Hey, bud, more power to you. I don't care. You know, it's just a joke." He goes, "Oh, I love it." He goes, he goes. I know, I know you guys don't mean no harm. You're just saying what you guys believe and and I appreciate it. So that's what we're about. Um, I think with that, it's time to move on to the buyafarm.com property of the week. Buyafarm.com is your source for farm, recreational properties, rural homes, and more. Now here is Don Higgins with this week's featured property. This week's featured property is 355 acres in Williamson County, Illinois. Uh, this property is great for the hunter that likes ducks and bucks because there is a 30-acre lake and a six-acre lake on this property, um, along with uh, three and a half miles of frontage on the Big Muddy River. Uh, there's 83 acres of cropland. And 15 acres of that's in alfalfa. So, I mean, you've got everything for both bucks and ducks on this property. Um, in southern Illinois, you're going to have to look a long way to find a better one for both waterfowl and, and deer. Um, if you look at it on the aerial that's on biofarm.com's website, you can see that it lays out really well because you got that river border in the property on basically two sides. And then you got open farm country on another side so it's got some isolation you know where you should be able to hold bucks and, and grow some bucks to the older age classes um, the property is located uh, four miles north of heron illinois or four miles south of ziegler illinois or four miles southeast of royalton illinois so it's kind of right in the middle of those three towns um, the work's already been done it's ready to hunt Taxes on that 355 acres is only $2,413 a year. So if you're interested in that one, uh, give Wayne Keller a call. Wayne's number is 618-407-1679. And uh, I'm sure he'd be glad to show it to you. Another great listing by Wayne. Um, but thank you to our friends at Biofarm for their support. But also, uh, please, if you're in the market for uh, recreational property, please visit their website or their social media at biofarm.com. So we're, yep. we're on to the uh, question section. So the, the same people that complain because we call it like it is and – even though you might get a little excited when you when you when you see somebody that uh, that makes a point that that you're passionate about, uh, the same people that uh, um, you might uh, might get a little offended and and you know pretend to be a snowflake in the middle of the summer. Uh, there's a whole lot of people that even if they don't agree with what our response is, are sending questions in to have you call it like it is. And uh, I hope that, um, you know, people understand that even even if they don't agree with us, we appreciate the questions. It might not be what people like to hear or want to hear, but that's why we're here is just to call it like it is. So um, I'm assuming you got either two or three questions for us to wrap up with tonight. I got three. You'll have to tell me if, if we run out of time. But before we get started, I, you make a great point, Terry, about uh, the people that do support us. And there's a lot of them. And I, I got a package this week from a gentleman named Owen Allen 
from uh, Minnesota. He made uh, made me this sign, custom made sign, uh, kind of like a craft type sign, uh, with a quote of mine on it. It says, "It's about the chase, not not about the kill." Um, it's got my my name below that, and uh, I look forward to hanging that in my new new home when it gets done uh, yeah. later this year. But that, that kind of stuff for that sign. Yeah, I mean, we've had multiple people send us gifts, and yeah, I'm sitting here looking at a tumbler that our buddy Bob Miller made us, and. Yeah, yeah, Todd Covey made us some some. Uh, he he made a, was it a Trump hard hat with a collage yep, of Trump on? They're looking at mine. And, yeah, and you know it, it's hard for people who listen to the podcast to really put in perspective how much people kind of more in the public eye, you know, um, why they need to defend themselves, and and maybe we don't. Maybe maybe you're right that we never even need to step up and worry about it. But um, we appreciate the people that do stand behind us. And even when they don't agree with us, they stand up for what we're doing with this podcast. And that's calling it like it is and what we believe and choosing what you like. And, and there is so many people. I mean, we got, we got over a quarter million people that's listened to this podcast. And the majority of people, I think, uh, appreciate where we come from, even if they don't agree with us. And, and that, that means the most to me. Absolutely. So let's get on to these questions. The first one comes from Matt Anderson from Duluth, Minnesota. Uh, Matt says, guys, thanks for doing these podcasts. I'd love to sit down and ask a bunch of questions. However, I'll narrow it down to a few I feel are most important. How are you going from getting pictures of a mature animal to killing? What are some of the important steps that I and most people are missing? There are lots of people getting pictures of the deer they want to harvest, but very few are killing them on a consistent basis. I believe so many hunters limit themselves to one or two properties, so when they have a picture of a mature buck, they are instantly hunting it. When you say having years of history with a deer, what factors are you considering when you feel you have enough information to hunt the buck with a decent chance of harvesting it? Is it pictures entering and exiting a bedding area? Pictures near a deer stand in daylight and Matt's got a two-part question or submission and I'm going to stop right there and answer this about the about the getting a buck's picture and then killing that deer and Matt what it really boils down to is that I'm, I'm watching these deer uh, typically from the time they are two or three years old until they are five or six years old so you know I may have up to four years or even five. And in one case, I know I had six years of history with a buck before I killed him. So when you have that many years of, of history, you, you know what that animal, I mean, they develop annual patterns. So, you know, you're going to know where he's going to be before he's there. And that's what makes him killable. It, it's not, if you get his picture and then run out there and try to kill him, you're a step behind him. And, uh, but when you've got years of history with that buck on a specific property well then you can be a step ahead of it and that's really what that all boils down to so i agree with, to add there, Terry? i agree with you but i don't think that's the most important thing i believe that most average deer hunters who get pictures of big bucks are probably getting them at night and they're not hunting the property that that buck is spending its daylight hours on. 
That's one of the things that you explain so perfect that until you see it in your master class, it's hard to it's hard to visualize. But but I'll be honest with you, there's a buck that I would have loved to kill for the last three years that's on my property here in Kentucky, and over three years I've gotten his picture in daylight hours three times. Mm-hmm. I know that buck is not bedded on me, and he's probably bedding a a really f- far you know distance away from me and it's hard to tell how many hunters he's walking by he's still alive he's at least seven i would love to kill him but i think the mistake that most people make is they get a trail camera picture of a buck and it's probably at night because they have feed out if they're in a bait state or they have food plot out that buck is traveling to them and they go all in and they hunt and they hunt and they hunt, put all kinds of human intrusion on it, that buck's probably not betting on that property to begin with, but the more pressure they put on it, it that buck's not coming there. And, and I really believe that at least my social network of people that I see that post these pictures on Facebook and the people that do share their, cell, their uh, trail camera pictures, it seems to me like the big bucks that people are getting are night pictures. And um, what, you've, what you're doing, um, a lot of it's to do with the type of farm and open ag country versus a lot of the country that's connecting woods. Um, you're able to finagle like the Joey buck and go in and say, I got a picture or I got a lead on a buck, whether it be sheds or a picture or a sighting. I'm going to zoom out on my Google Earth and start finding these little pockets that these mature bucks might get pushed to and go and try to get permission to them. Where I think the average hunter is getting a nighttime picture of a buck and going in and burning that spot out, hoping that he comes. And and that's why they never get him. Well, you make a great point, you know, and you and Steve Shields, I've said it before, you always tell me that uh, I just assume too much and <laughs> take for granted that people understand things that uh, they don't um you know to kill big bucks consistently you gotta hunt them where they're bad um if you're putting a trail camera over a food plot and and uh, you're just getting night pictures well that may or may not help you kill that deer you need to know where he's bedding uh, where is he spending his daylight hours and you know trail cameras help you do that you get a picture and you're only getting night pictures where you just branch out from there in, in all directions um, half a mile or so at a time yep, and see where he's coming from. But I think that's where the and, average hunter has a hard time. They get, they get that, they get that velvet picture and they, Oh my goodness. You know, Oh, it's, we got, we got a monster and they're all in and get really excited. But the game plan doesn't jive with number one, those bucks splitting off, you know, the bachelor group busting off and him moving his range. Number two, where that thing is betting. And then the more they go in and try to get trail camera pictures out, the more they go in and try to hunt, it just keeps making that property have more intrusion, more pressure, um, at least for the people that I follow and are friends with on social media. I think that if, Matt, if you want to ask my biggest thing about what Don does different, I think that's it. I think that's that's the disconnect that I see. So I think he had a, well, second, you- a second part to the question. Yeah. Um, so moving on to the second part of Matt's question, it says, you have said it numerous times, mature bucks like to be free of human intrusion. Can you better define this? <laughs> I didn't, I didn't read this thing? before you started. 
<laughs> I didn't read the second part before you started here. Okay. <laughs> uh, between tree stand trimming, food plot work, and trail cameras, how are you able to accomplish so little intrusion with all these factors? Can you run me through a year of what intrusions you do suggest be placed on a property and where you're placing them? Thanks again for taking the time to do these podcasts and answer these questions. There's a big difference in the animals you are harvesting, and Terry, of course, and how you are doing it compared with the other experts out there. Congratulations on a great season and a successful podcast. I shouldn't, I shouldn't be labeled my, as an expert. To, to clarify that, I'm not I'm not the expert <laughs> in anything. Me so. either. <laughs> but uh, like tree stand trimming, food plot work. You know, there's something that, that's kind of struck me here recently is that uh, a lot of these bucks that I'm killing, everybody wants to assume, and the reason it struck me is because I hear this accusation on social media. Everybody assumes that these deer I, I'm killing are, you know, shot in food plots or on a managed property. You know, some of my biggest bucks, I've killed three bucks since 2015 over 180 inches that were on small properties that were not leased. I did not own them. I just knocked on doors for permission. There was not a food plot on the property. There was zero habitat work done on the property. I just knocked on doors, got permission, and went in. And every one of those three bucks was killed in probably less than 10 acres of cover. Definitely less than 10 acres of cover on these small properties. So, you know, don't make assumptions that, and, and this goes kind of beyond your question, Matt, but don't make assumptions that all these deer I'm shooting are coming on big managed properties with food plots and everything because they're not. Um, on these properties, it's really critical that you do your tree stand trimming and before things green up in the spring. I, I got my stand, every stand that, that I'm planting, well, I shouldn't say that. I got some in Iowa I got to put up. But here in Illinois where I'm hunting, I don't really, well, I should take that back again. I've got some public land I'm going to go on and hang some stands. But most of these private land properties I'm hunting, the stands are there now. I'm not going back until the day I climb in them. So I'm not going in in August, September, whatever, hanging stands and clearing shooting lanes. It's, it's done. Human intrusion, a lot of it is, is the timing of when it's when it happens. So if you go in and in March, April, when things are just, you know, you're coming out of winter and the trees are just barely starting to green up, that's the time to hang your stands. And if you bump a buck, you're probably not going to hurt your chances all that much. But then get your stand ready and get out and stay out and don't come back till the day you hunt it. Um, that's how you get And trail cameras. Don't take your trail cameras into the heart of the property into a buck's bedding area, get them on the edge. Put them cameras out on the edges. And uh, that's how you keep the intrusion down. Yeah, I think um, I think different parts of the country will lead a little bit. Um, and and you, you, you actually, you correct me if I'm wrong on this, Don. If you're adding intrusion onto a property, say out in the open ag field, that never has anybody on it other than a you know, case magnum tractor coming through and planting then a sprayer coming through. Nothing's ever in the woods on that farm except during hunting season. That's a different type of intrusion than a working, say, dairy farm 
that has equipment activity on it all the time and you're back in blocks of woods I, I really think that deer have an, a, be, a, an a sense or an ability to adapt to their surroundings. But whether a, you're there doing a normal routine or whether you're back close to their bedding putting a mineral in, they know the difference of it. So um, how you go about getting your trail cameras, where your trail cameras are, where your mineral stations are, all of that kind of stuff... Um, I do think you can possibly get away with a little bit more of being on the property if you're consistent to how that property is farmed or um, the activity on it. Um, I don't believe the guys that try to have the combo packages where they have four-wheeler trails and all that kind of stuff through the woods are going to consistently be able to do what we're talking about on this podcast. You know, I don't think a mature buck will put up with that, but... I do think that working uh, working agriculture farms where there's people on it, you can probably get by with a little bit more activity of going back filling feeders, freshing mineral. Um, but everything I see you doing on your properties, you're never going into the core of the property unless it's to retrieve a dead deer. And I think it's as simple as that. Right. You know, Terry, just listening to you, you talk and explain that just now is really – um, kind of prompted me to to want to hit this from a different angle too because and I don't want this to sound like I'm blasting other consultants because I'm not but I'm just I'm saying that like I said earlier when you're kill when your goal is to kill mature bucks four and a half years and older six and a half year old bucks whatever those older bucks you've got to do things different and that's when the layout of a property, when when you want to kill them deer, the layout of the property becomes very critical. And when when you're shooting bucks three and a half and younger, then you can get away with a whole lot more. And you can have a food plot right in the middle of your property. You can have a, a path to get to that food plot that goes right through the heart of the cover or whatever. And, and, and other mistakes I call them mistakes because they, they, they are mistakes if you're hunting mature deer. You can get away with that. But when, when you're hunting the most mature deer, it, it's a different animal. And you got to approach your property different, and uh, you got to approach your hunting different. But what a great so, tie-in to what you were saying earlier in the podcast about the spring dispersal and understanding how those bucks are pushed away from their mothers. They're going and they're trying to find a bachelor group that's going to accept them that they feel security in and then how that disperses then they're back on their own again they're they're basically wanders trying to figure things out it's no wonder that a that a, a two and three year old buck is is susceptible to a lot of things but if he makes it past that the lessons that he's learned time after time after time of associating a smell or using the wind or being in the place that he needs to be at the right time or scent checking a downwind side of a bedding area. Um, it's no wonder that by the time a buck gets to be four, five, and six years old, he's he's different. He's he's lived enough to, to learn those lessons. It's a great segue or a tie-in, I guess is the better term, of how you were talking about that, that mother fawn kicking that 10, 11, 12-month-old buck fawn out and it's starting to learn those lessons. Get smarter as it goes. 
and a lot of them get killed mm-hmm. before they ever learn. Hit by but a car or even hunted, either way. Yeah. Great, so, great tie in there. Absolutely, we appreciate your question, Matt. And uh, I guess we we still got time, Terry. Yeah, we're just right at an hour, so we can take one more. All right, we'll take one more. Then the next one comes from uh, Ryan Glasscock from Redbud, Illinois. Uh, Ryan says, Don and Terry, first off, I'd like to congratulate the both of you on a successful season. You both have a vast amount of knowledge, and I truly enjoy listening to the podcast and trying to learn more with each episode. What are some recommendations you two have on managing sorting your trail camera photos to help with the following season? I feel like it is very overwhelming just working off my phone. Do you have multiple folders on your computer? Do you save them to files on your phones? Any recommendations would be greatly appreciated. Well, Ryan, the best thing that I have found and is the uh, Buckview software that Reconix offers. And I've talked about this before. I think you can go right to the Reconix website and download that Buckview software. I've used it with multiple brands of trail cameras over the years, and uh, it seems to work with all of them. But uh, it's really good for managing your, your photos. And I, I manage them by location, not by buck. Um, so I want to know all the pictures that came from a specific location, all the bucks that were photo, photographed at a specific location. And uh, that software allows you to do that. It's also got a mapping system very similar to Google Earth where you can mark the, the various locations. You can name the different locations. And it's very easy to refer back to. It'll automatically put those uh, photos in sequence at each location, you know, by the date they were taken. And uh, that's the best thing that, that I've found. And Terry has got some experience with the WiseEye software that I think may, may be even more advanced that, that I've never uh, never experienced yet. So maybe Terry can add. Well, neither one of these comments, neither one of these are a paid promotion by either one of us because we are not compensated by any means by either company. Um, it's just honest feedback. I think both softwares, uh, have different benefits. Uh, you talked about being able to save pictures per location. The, the thing about WiseEye and it's a software called hunt control. You do not, again, like the Reconic software, you do not have to have a, uh, wise eye camera to use it i think it might be a subscription based uh, to use the software you can upload uh, sd cards and you the how it works is you save if you're getting them by cell camera from wise eye it automatically saves it or you can create a camera by a gps location so say i have a browning a tasco uh, whatever Chinese camera or whatever it is, I can take that SD card and I can upload it to that camera if I'm using hunt control. And hunt control's kind of sweet spot is it takes about a second per picture. They run photo recognition software. Um, These guys are really, really sharp computer guys. They all um, um, came from the software side. But they're, they're able to recognize whether it's a deer a turkey, a hog, or other, they're actually working on other things right now to identify and filter. 
The benefit for me is, as I go and do, because we're a bait state in Kentucky, so I have feeders and mineral, um, I'll, I'll come in a Sunday afternoon after pulling cards, and I'll have 40,000 trail camera pictures to look through. The beauty for me is, is I can upload those photos and then immediately filter deer, then filter antlerless, and I can immediately delete all of the doe pictures to where I'm only looking at bucks. So I took a three-hour process of hitting the arrow key on my keyboard down to a very small window of the bucks that I want to do it. From that point, then you can save the photo however you want to save it, I mean, by location or what have you, however you want to organize it. But I think the Reconic software that you're using allows you to save by location. Um, this software with Hunt Control, I think it allows you to whether you're using the WiseEye camera or you're using someone else's camera, upload a mass amount of pictures, have it filter for what you're looking for to, to compress the amount of time it takes to manage the photos. So I think it's a little bit different in kind of what the, uh, the benefit of both of those softwares are. Well, Terry, you opened your comment there with, with something that I want to hit on just a little bit. And that's the fact that neither one of these companies sponsors um, us in any way. Um, we have had at least three trail camera companies reach out to us and, and want to sponsor the podcast. And I, I think this is a real testimony to, to what makes us different and to the honesty that, that we're the brutal, sometimes brutal honesty that we're bringing to not only this podcast, but to everything we do. I would be willing to bet there's probably not another podcast, TV show, um, hunting show, um, you know, whitetail consultants, whatever, that has turned down sponsors like we have. Turned down three sponsors for trail cameras, and we don't have a trail camera sponsor. And that just, I mean, I think it goes to our integrity and our sincerity in wanting to really help people, um, you know, be more successful hunters. Yeah. At the same time, you know, we're the Lester's feet, um, foundation that you started, Terry. I mean, that shows where our heart's at. Um, we're not perfect. Uh, the, the, the sermon I heard this morning when I was visiting that church in Indiana, just it really hit home with me that, uh, I think one of the comments he, uh, he made at the end of the sermon was, if you're not dead, you're not done. And I, I'm not done growing. I'm going to make a lot more mistakes before I'm done. Um, I'm going to screw up a lot more. I'm going to make a lot more people mad on social media. I guarantee you probably before the week's over, but yeah, you know, I'm, I'm trying to help other deer hunters, um, be more successful. And I'm sure I'm going to ruffle a few feathers because, uh, I'm going to tell it like it is. As are you, Terry. But, uh, I think the trail camera situation is just a perfect example where we've turned down three different companies that, that were willing to sponsor us um, because we just we weren't comfortable with the products at this time. And there's just not very many people that are going to do that, whether they be podcasts or whatever. Well, I think there's a difference. Um, for instance, my buddy uh, Andrew has been, uh, he's actually been private messaging me while we've been recording. He he reached out today and was one of those guys that were asking me how my 
back was doing and you know he was uh he actually he actually said I, if i have to buy one camera what's it going to be you know based on the cell camera and i said well i said this is how i can answer the question i have the truck packed tonight because i'm i'm coming up to illinois tomorrow uh we're going to meet up with chris yates from victory chevrolet and trade our trucks tomorrow and i bought new exodus cell cameras i have new wise eye cell cameras and i have reconic cell cameras all in the truck um i'm i'm still learning as i go also and finding and, and the one thing i learned is that all of these cameras have some benefits and all of them require you to understand the camera um but um, we're just here to tell it like it is, and if if people get offended by us aff- defending ourselves every once in a while, we're sorry, but uh, we, we take this opportunity extremely serious, and we're humbled by those who support us, and we just want to be as upfront and honest with everybody as possible. Uh, speaking of the Lester's feet thing, before we close, we're running a little bit over an hour and 10 minutes and we want to be respectful of everybody's time. Um, I, I, I do know that for a fact that we are between 50 and $60,000 with still almost two weeks to go. So uh, you and I are going to talk uh, when I'm in town tomorrow night and Tuesday, um, meeting up with Chris Yates about how we're going to do the podcast on July 4th. Um, it's, it's humbling to know that this many people, uh, when given the opportunity to help, uh, I know for a fact that it's the people that I talk to, um, they don't care really about the prizes. That's, that's cool. And everything that you might get to hang out at Don's place or at my place. The reason they're doing this is, is that somebody stepped up and created an avenue to help families. And that's what means the most to me. So if, if in closing, before you close us out, if I have one thing to take up for you and I in doing this podcast, it's that when you asked me to first do this and I told you no, I don't know how many times, the only reason that I'm here, I have no ambition to be in the outdoor industry. I have no ambition to be famous. I have no ambition to be in the public eye. But if God can use this platform and us just being honest with people to help them and if they want to use whatever parts of it to make themselves a better hunter, great. But most of all, if we can use this platform to glorify Christ and to help families and do things like we're doing through the Lester's feet, I'm committed to doing this podcast as long as people want to listen to it. So from the bottom of my heart, that's why I'm here. That's the only ambition I have is to truly be a servant in this thing and, uh, and help people accomplish their dreams. Very well said. Amen. So with that, um, I guess I will see you tomorrow night for dinner. And then uh, there'll probably be some Facebook posts on Tuesday morning with us both standing beside our new Duramaxes. Yeah, we'll have uh, some material for next week's podcast for sure. Yep. So uh, we appreciate everybody's time. If you ain't got nothing else to say, Don, um, you, of course you might have said it all in the first like thirty-two minutes. I'm not sure. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think I'm talked out for this episode. We better hey, thank I want sponsors. I want people to know that that's the longest in how many years have we known each other? Almost sixteen. I think this summer will be sixteen years. Yeah. How many years ago did you shoot your non tip? Your two fourteen. It was uh, 2004.
Okay, so January of 2004 is the first time I met you. Tonight on this podcast is the longest I have ever heard Don Higgins talk without stopping unless he was given in a <laughs> seminar or talking at a church. So you all got a piece of history tonight. <laughs> <laughs> With that, we will thank our sponsors. <laughs> we want to thank Biofarm.com, 360 Hunting Vines, Real World Wildlife Products, Victory Chevrolet, Vortex Optics, Lone Wolf Tree Stand, WildlifeFarming.com, Quiet Cat, Matthews Archery, and Vengeance Camo. Be sure to tune in next week, everyone. Thank you. <laughs>